Hello, welcome to the Unseen and Chapman podcast on The Athletic. As usual, we'll bring you exclusive insight and stories from our team of writers. David, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Can I, I did notice over Christmas that you've, you've put a piece out on Christmas Day about transfers. What is wrong with you, man? Have a day off. I think it was actually published on Boxing Day, so oh, uh, yeah, but but it, 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 it was filed on Christmas. Yeah, in, in the build-up to Christmas and uh, some finishing touches on Christmas Day. Well, it, it was largely transfer-related, so you need to mm. sort of uh, go right up to the wire before publication. And um, hey, w- w- what's a Christmas Day got to be getting in the way of our work? <laughs> <laughs> he never stops. Also joining us today, the Athletics' Adam Crafton. Happy New Year, Adam. Happy New Year. How is everyone? Uh, very good, thank you. Could yeah. you could you remember remember what football you were watching when over the festive period? No, I was actually saying to someone yesterday, I don't think I remember anything that happened more than about three days ago. Um, and, and I only know it's Monday because people are calling me for work again. Um, so that's the only way I'm working out the calendar at the moment. Uh, let's get straight to it then. Two areas of focus on the pod. We'll talk a lot about transfers in a little while, what we can expect during this window, but we are going to start with Frank Lampard and Chelsea. Uh, The Athletic on Sunday night reporting Frank Lampard's job at Chelsea under threat and replacements being looked at uh, after Chelsea were beaten by Manchester City. We'll talk to our Chelsea correspondent Liam Toomey in a moment. First, let's hear from Frank Lampard himself. This is when he spoke to Alan Shearer for an athletic interview at the end of November. I'm under no illusions. I know we've got a better, um, more powerful squad this year. When you spend the money we've spent, the expectations can't and won't remain the same. Um, Mm. So we need to close the gap, without a doubt. How much we can close it will be what we're defined by in the end, but... The nice thing about sitting at the moment is that when I talk to the players or when we talk, it feels like we're in touching distance. And so such a long time last year. I mean, this time last year, this is before the the Newcastle game, we were 10 points behind Liverpool. And, and now we know we're in touching distance. So yeah. we've got to try and hang on to that and, and make that mentality where we're not... Because it's easy to write yourself off. Okay, we're going to win the league at very early stage last year. Most clubs did. Um, and that can breed a bit of, OK, well, what's our next challenge? And then you, then you settle for fighting for third or fourth. Um, now we want to make that step where we, we really get a bit um, uh, tough about trying to close the gap in a big way. So we're in that process, I think. Well, Liam, f- first of all, at the, the time of that interview, Chelsea had won six in a row. Now they've won one in six and have lost four of those six. So... Uh, do the Chelsea hierarchy admit that that is going to be the case this season? That consistency isn't there, no matter who you are? Well, I think it's it, it's been a startling decline. And the thing that's hurt Lampard in the eyes of those above him, maybe more even the results, ha- has been the, the series of performances. And of course, our, our, our story came off the back of a defeat to Manchester City. And in a vacuum, there's no shame to to losing to Manchester City when they play as they did at Stamford Bridge. I thought they were excellent. But it's the, it's the broader context of what's happened since they beat Leeds at, at the start of December. One win in seven games and even the win against West Ham was not a, a, a very convincing performance. Certainly not as convincing as the, the 3-0 scoreline suggested. So that I think is the key to to the, the doubts now that are, are pervading the the Chelsea board um, about whether Lampard is the is the person to to maximise this group of players, and there there was nothing, unfortunately for him, 
um, against Manchester City to, to, to change that perception. Uh, so it, it has been a pretty startling change of narrative. It's worth saying as well that when Chelsea were being talked up as title contenders, they weren't being talked up by Frank Lampard. Uh, and he made that point again after the Manchester City game that he always thought that this this group are a work in progress. But those kind of pleas for context and perspective um, are not carrying with the people above him in the way that he would perhaps hope. Is that simply because of the money spent in the summer? Well, I think that's a big part of it. You look, it's just, it's more than £200 million in transfer fees and, and of course, a lot more on top of that in terms of long-term salary commitments. And and I think everyone agreed at the time that, that Chelsea had, had not just spent big, but spent well and, and really strengthened their squad. And so there, there were lofty expectations going into this season. I, I don't think... There was a serious expectation to win the title this year, but there was certainly an expectation to show a lot of progress um, and to close the gap to to Liverpool and Manchester City and the kind of level they've operated on for the last three years. And when you look at the Premier League table so far, Chelsea now have three fewer points after 17 games than they did at this stage last season. So that is the stat, I think, that, that's particularly damning for Lampard in the eyes of the hierarchy, the, the the fact that it's hard to make an argument of progress. And then when you look at beyond the res- results to the recent performances, it becomes even harder to to say that this group is, is making the kind of strides that were expected. One thing we know, Liam, and you guys reported this on Sunday night, is that Chelsea have been looking at other candidates. Um, you could say that's good forward planning, contingency work from any club uh, in this sort of situation. Um, and and it's fact. It's not us reporting our opinion. If you want my opinion, I, th- I think Frank Lampard should should be given longer and deserves more. But I wonder if this is all sort of unearthing some, some feelings that may go back to his appointment or, or even before uh, among people in and around Chelsea that actually it was a circumstantial appointment largely. Chelsea were in a transfer ban. He was a legend of the club. He had impressed at Derby. It was a very difficult period. And and he was a convenient appointment at that moment in time, some would say, um, but not necessarily the appointment that some influential people at and around Chelsea ever really, really wanted. And maybe that's starting to simmer to the surface now with some pressure coming onto him before many feel he deserves you know these signings are young it's still relatively early Um, Chelsea are through to the last 16 of the Champions League group winners but there there is a lot more context to this than him just being under pressure because of the recent results yeah I think so and when when you cast your mind back to the summer of 2019 you have to remember that top proven coaches weren't exactly queuing up to take the Chelsea job it was clear that Eden Hazard was going to leave. You know, they'd already kept him a year longer than he wanted to to be there. Um, and Real Madrid were finally willing to stump up the cash. They didn't have the ability to replace him with the transfer ban, although, of course, they'd already done the Christian Pulisic deal. And the only way to really re-energise the, the squad was with some of the academy boys that were returning from loan. So there's no doubt... Um, that, that Frank Lampard would not have got the Chelsea job when he did in normal circumstances. It, it, it was a, a summer unlike any other for Chelsea. And I think they felt that he was someone 
who could unite the the Chelsea fan base after the toxicity of the the Sarri era. I'm not sure that's actually happened, but that was the thinking at the time, and that he he would make has more of not? an academy. Hey, like, genu- like, like genuinely, has it has it not? I mean, I, I I'm not um, on Chelsea message boards and 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 seeing a lot of. Don't Chelsea like. fans, <laughs> <laughs> Chelsea fans commented. So uh, I don't know. Is it is it a divided fan base over him? It really is, Chappers, and it, and it surprised me because I thought if anyone could kind of overcome the the the, the sort of factionism that that has grown up on Chelsea Twitter uh, over the last couple of years, it would be the club's greatest ever goal scorer and, and arguably greatest ever player. But that hasn't been the case. There were, there were fans who, who pretty quickly had doubts about his his qualifications for the job, which is fair, but were not prepared to give him the kind of leeway that you might expect for a legend of the club. And I think even, even what he achieved last year, securing a top four finish, getting to the FA Cup final, establishing that academy group in the first team squad wasn't enough to convince um, certain sections of the Chelsea fan base. And I think they have been the people that have been quickest to, to start talking about him, him going even before these conversations were taking place at the club. I mean, Adam, as, as Liam pointed out there, there's nothing unusual. And in fact, it's, it's best practice to, have a list of possible replacements. You can't tell me that Manchester City don't have, albeit a short list, of men to replace Guardiola in the same way that Liverpool do for Klopp. I mean, we, we had the Barnsley uh, owner on um, on the Business of Sport podcast, and and he admitted, you know, they have they have a coaching database database like they do for a player database i mean that is normal completely normal and makes total sense you know particularly when you've won seven of 17 games after spending a fortune in in, in the summer i think what what makes it different is clearly those conversations have intensified over the past couple of weeks and it's gone from or maybe we quite like him in germany or we quite like him in italy we quite like him in spain to what do we need to do to get him from Germany if in this worst case scenario we feel we need to make a change um, so I think that's probably where it's escalated and accelerated at Chelsea in in recent times I'm probably a little bit less forgiving than you guys with regards to Lampard's performance I think you know when you look where Tottenham and Leicester and Manchester United are I think the aim for those clubs and Chelsea has always been when Liverpool and City drop off that little bit we have to be ready to strike and I think if you're running Chelsea at the moment, you're looking at the performances, you're looking how much you've spent, and you're probably thinking, if anything, we're falling further away. Just at the time where those who have been really insurmountable, getting 98, 99 points the last few years, are starting to become catchable. And I think that's where Chelsea are in a funny moment now, where they're only actually three points off the top four. And I was just reading a month ago, people, people were asking Frank Lampard about a new contract. So that's how quickly it's it's changed. But it's that thing of do we be proactive to make sure we get in the top four or do we wait and see and take the risk that, you know, this trend is actually the reality. And I think that's the major challenge that Chelsea now have. Well, we know Chelsea's background on that historically. Mm. And there are three main factors, results, dressing room, and most importantly, Roman Abramovich. Uh, if he decides that Frank Lampard's not for him anymore, then he'll be gone in that same moment, you, you suspect. But I guess, Liam, how 
different might it be with the current circumstances, the COVID situation that we're going in affecting all of football, the managerial market not being as healthy now as it might be, say, in the summer? Could that buy Lampard a bit more time or is it just going to come down to these next couple of league games, which are huge both away from home and also that atmosphere in the dressing room, which we know hasn't been easy? Frank's talked about having two bigger squad players left out and that means, as we saw at Arsenal recently, and unhappy, unhappy sections of the squad, and that that definitely affects the atmosphere. Um, major signings in in Werner and Havertz uh, underperforming so far. What's your assessment on on the sort of time he has? Well, the managerial market isn't even as attractive as it was a week ago, is it, David? Mm-hmm. Because yeah, well, um, that's a really good point. We 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 all know how. How, how much Chelsea admired Mauricio Pochettino and they obviously weren't alone in that and I'm sure if he had been still a free agent when when this all began to happen he would have been a leading candidate but having said that and as we state in our piece if Chelsea decide that that Lampard is not the man to take them forward they will always back their judgment to find a a top coach and they've always backed their ability to attract a top coach when they need one and and their view will certainly be that there are while Pochettino is an excellent choice he's not the only choice everything you say about the about the squad situation is correct I, I don't think Chelsea as a club did did Lampard any favors in the off season it was clearly a difficult window to try and offload players that were surplus to requirements but Lampard was allowed to go into the season or kind of forced to go into the season with a very bloated squad and it's always true to varying extents that the players who aren't playing are not going to be happy and are going to be grumbling behind the scenes. But when when that number is bigger and when you've got maybe some some more established players in the squad who aren't playing regularly, those problems can, can be amplified. And, and beyond everything else, when you're not winning regularly, those problems all become amplified. And Liam, do you think that's, I mean, you make a good point. I think we always talk about these, you know, bomb squads, as you know, this, these players who aren't in the team, who maybe, you know, they know their futures elsewhere. But I, I, And we've seen that at Arsenal as well. But there's probably a striking difference. Just when I was watching Man United on Friday night, you saw the final whistle. Quite a few players who hadn't really been involved in the team, Jesse Lingard, Juan Mata, on the pitch celebrating with the team at the final whistle. Is there anything in how Lampard has managed those players that could have maybe been better when you look at that spirit that has been elsewhere, maybe at Man United, for example? Yeah, I, th- I, I think to a certain extent this always seems to happen at Chelsea where, I mean, we saw it happen with Conte and with Sarri as well, that they always seem to end up with a fairly small group of players that they actually trust to play regularly. And those who find themselves on the outside looking in tend to become disillusioned and and that causes problems in the camp. As soon as results start to go badly, those problems start to come to the fore. And I think it's it's fair to say that the dressing room atmosphere is not great right now. You would you would expect that even even in a broadly healthy situation when when you go on a losing run. But it's clear there are tensions between Lampard and, and certain certain players and certain groups of players in, in the dressing room, particularly the ones who, who haven't felt like he's given them a fair chance over the last few months, um, that have been growing. And and you know, when you've got an owner like Abramovich and a hierarchy like Chelsea's who regularly take the temperature of the dressing room and factor it into their their calculations of the sort of overall health of the managerial situation 
that's a big problem for Lampard. Uh, just to finish, just on the the players that came in in the summer, does does a lot of this unhappiness at, at the moment around the club centre on the fact that Werner isn't scoring and Havertz has not really hit the ground running at all? And I know Lampard's talked about Havertz having COVID-19 and, and suffering the long-term effects of that. But you look at their business in the summer and, and, and the rest of, rest of the ones that have come in have have made decent starts them. I know ZX's been injured uh, as well, but does it real really boil down to the fact that the two big ones in Werner and Havertz have not delivered so far or he hasn't got them to deliver? I think that's a big part of it and also the manner in which they haven't delivered in that they've they've both been forced to play tactical roles and positions on the pitch that that they're not entirely used to from their careers in Germany. Timo Werner was not playing on the left side of the attack for RB Leipzig last season. He was kind of a, a second striker in between the left wing and and, and, and a number nine. Um, Chelsea don't have that position existing in this 4-3-3. Um, and Kai Havertz has played as a number eight, a number 10, a false nine. He's, he's played out on the right as well. Uh, and and he hasn't really looked like he he's got any serious rhythm in any of those positions. And of course, there have been other factors with Havertz. He's he's a young guy adjusting to a new league. He's he's probably not as as much of a finished article as, as Timo Werner in terms of hitting the ground running straight away. Uh, and he also contracted COVID and was by all accounts you know bed bound for for more than a week. He suffered quite badly with it. So there's mitigation for Lampard in that sense, but. It, it definitely hurts him um, in the kind of calculations that, that Chelsea's hierarchy are making that the two key signings of the transfer window, uh, I mean, Timo Werner was kind of the person that they, they snatched under the no- from under the noses of Liverpool and Kai Havertz was one of the most coveted young players in Europe, maybe the, the most coveted young player that Chelsea have signed since Eden Hazard in 2012. So there, there's a huge investment at club level in both of these players and getting the best out of them was always going to be a key part of Lampard's remit. The fact that he hasn't done that, uh, at least not so far, is is a big factor in all of this. We're going to move on to transfers next. Uh, before we let you go then, um, anything on Chelsea and Declan Rice in this window just to annoy West Ham fans? <laughs> I seriously doubt it. Uh, West Ham are going really well. If anything, they're in a stronger position to, to brush off Chelsea's advances in Declan Rice now than they were last summer. And everything we're hearing out of Chelsea is that sales rather than signings are the priority because, as we've said, this this squad is, is kind of a lot bigger than it needs to be. Thank you very much, Liam. OK, let's get stuck into more uh, transfer window stories. Uh, for any of us that haven't been paying attention over Christmas and New Year, there have been uh, lots flying around on The Athletic regarding a variety of clubs and players. So, David, a variety of clubs mm. and players. Where do you want to start? Where do you want to start or where do the people well, we're going to gonna, start? Well, we're going to start with <laughs> Arsenal, aren't we? Despite the fact there's a variety of clubs and players there, we'll start with Arsenal. Uh, you reported on Boxing Day that they're interested in Dortmund's Julian Brandt. Yeah, I mean, he was among the options that they were considering and those options are extensive. There are numerous um, names for instance, you know, Christian Eriksen was well documented. I don't, and we said on here, I think that that's not one that Arsenal 
wanted to pursue. Uh, I don't know if somebody like Brand would be possible given deals of this size, especially if they were permanent. They need to you need to get the wheels in motion earlier, especially with a club like Dortmund. Um, and I don't know if that's happened. I don't know if Dortmund would regard it as being too late now because you know they like to plan very clearly on what they're going to have. Although that said, they have lost players late in the window historically. And so I just think, without meaning to dodge the question, it's a, a watch this space. I don't have an update on where they are in terms of that creative attacking midfielder. No, but it's quite interesting, Adam, isn't it? Off the back of our Chelsea chat and players coming in off the back of the youngsters that Frank Lampard used last year and also on on the short termism a little bit in football you know you win three on the trot and all of a sudden things are looking better you lose four on the trot and things things are a disaster Uh, and Arsenal are on the upturn and they've got some of their young players that have helped them do it so all of a sudden the context feels slightly different when talking about players they might want to bring in for sure and it also you know it does strengthen their hand in the transfer market you know imagine if if they'd lost another couple of games and then Arteta was asking the board for, for players and then you're going to, to rival clubs saying, can we take your player? And they know how desperate you are um, at that point. So I, I think it helps from that point of view. On, on the flip side, part of me thinks, what a time for from Arteta's point of view for it to start picking up because it's just as you enter January and if he did want reinforcements, the board might be inclined to say, well, you've just won your last three these ki- these kids look all right at the moment. Why not go with them for the rest of the season? Um, so it, it's a very strange situation. I, th- I, th- I think Arsenal have a big squad building project, which is going to take two three years. That they need to and they need to get every single one right, both out and in. They need to free up space. We know that. I think Kalasinac has Kalasinac gone now. Um, yes, he's he's in the process of. Yeah, I think it, it's pretty much done to, on yeah. to Schalke. So, you know, there's, there's, there's a series of players, I think all Arsenal fans know who they are, who, who need to go over the next six to 12 months. Um, and that then free space. They've got a really exciting generation of young players. I think Saka has been unbelievable this season. And, you know, Smith Rowe fans have been pushing for him all season long to be given a chance. Then he's been given a chance. But it's now going to be over the next few weeks. Our team's going to work them out. Because that's what happened last time. Arteta came up with a way of playing. It got some, got them to the FA Cup final, started the season quite well. And then it just flicked. And it was as if opponents all of a sudden knew this is how Arsenal play. These are their patterns of play. This is how you stop them and this is how you hurt them. And Arteta has to make sure that doesn't happen again. Because if, it, you know, if that does happen again, it starts to raise questions, I suppose, about his imagination as a coach. And I guess that's why there's been a lot of talk about Mesut Ozil still mm. and Arteta saying that we'll make a decision on whether he is reintroduced to the Premier League and Europa League squads after the transfer window closes. So that will give them a bit of time to see how the youngsters continue, see <laughs> if they do bring in a, a, a signing instead. Uh, I don't think there's any great expectation on behalf of the club or the player that he is going to be reintegrated. How fit is he? He seems to be training with, with the first team. I think he's been um, given a, a bit of time off with the club's blessing just recently. So I don't know if he's with the first team set up as we speak, but he has been throughout the season and... You know, he's his. From what we hear, his his fitness is in good shape. Uh, we know about his technical level. There's no match fitness whatsoever. He's not played a single second of football since lockdown in March, if I'm, I'm writing thinking. So I'd be, as I said before, very surprised. And I think 
that there's no expectation really at this point in time on behalf of the club or the player that he'll be he'll be playing a game for Arsenal. And talking of exits, just as we're recording this, the news has emerged that William Saliba. Another player we've talked about a lot is on his way to Nice on loan. We expected a loan deal. They have wasted no time in trying to sort this out and get him playing first team football somewhere. Things haven't gone to plan since his 30 million euros move uh, from Saint-Étienne to Arsenal 2019. He went straight back on loan there. It was not a, a smooth season in terms of injuries, the COVID pandemic, a family bereavement. Uh, since he's come in at Arsenal, he's not he's not been deemed at the level to compete for a first team place um, and so for quite a few weeks now the plan has always been to get him out on loan there were domestic options and I think he would have favoured that because it could have helped him acclimatise to British football before hopefully you know challenging for a place from next summer onwards uh, but there were always more options in his native France and so he's going to go to Nice by the looks of it they're trying to finalize that deal it will be a loan there'll be no option to buy uh, Nice will cover his salary but they won't pay a loan fee and I think the, the hope of all parties is that he just gets minutes under his belt gets competing and then comes back to challenge for a place because Arsenal still have really big hopes for William Saliba that he will be a part of their future so uh, yeah that's another one Adam mentioned Kolasinac another one out we'll see what happens with the likes of Socrates Mustafi as well but Arsenal's big priority like we spoke about with Chelsea actually is slimming the squad down getting rid of players who aren't playing and are not necessarily the best influences understandably around the camp while they're not playing they're going to be disgruntled trim things down and then look to see if they can bring in a a player or two here or there and I don't just mean with Arsenal with many clubs uh, before the January window shuts Okay, speaking of moves to France then is uh, is Dele Alli going to Paris Saint-Germain? Well I think Dele Alli would like to leave Tottenham I I think probably his preference would be permanent but and I mentioned that in the mailbag but a loan deal would also of course be be a, an option perhaps a more realistic option because throughout this process Daniel Levy has showed no desire to let Dele Alli leave, who's under contract until 2024. He seems to be a fan of his, but Mourinho less so clearly in terms of where Dele Alli and his style of play, his role fits into Mourinho's structure and strategy and plan for the team. And so I think PSG would definitely appeal. We know they had some loan approaches knocked back in the last transfer window. We'll be interesting to see if they come again. I think FFP would complicate their hopes of doing a permanent deal. So could they come in and, and do something on loan? Of course, working with Maurizio Pochettino uh, would, I'm sure, hold mutual appeal. Um and equally, I do think there'll be other clubs interested in Deli Ali as well. Um, but it will come down to Daniel Levy. He's the one who holds the power here. Deli Ali, I'm sure, will push for a move if he's not still if he's still not playing. But Daniel Levy will have to decide if he's willing to san- sanction that in a season where clubs will be getting injuries. They've got fixture congestion. It's going to be a truncated season ahead of the Euros. So there, there is a really interesting dynamic there because if Deli Ali can get back playing and playing well, then he'll hold out hope that he could force his way back into England's uh, Euro 2021 setup, uh, but Tottenham's priorities are, are not Deli Ali's international career. Quite interesting. I was I was told shortly before Christmas by a pretty senior source at PSG that, that he wasn't someone they were looking at okay, in, ja- in, in January, but that was obviously before 
the manager changed, so you wonder whether that whether that will change. But I, I just, I mean, the other problem for Delhi is even if he goes to PSG, first of all, I mean, of all the times in your career to move to Paris, lockdown probably isn't the most appealing. <laughs> um, but but secondly, how much football is he going to get in Paris? That's the other thing. You know, when you have Neymar and Mbappe and Icardi and Moyes Keane doing well there, they tend to play with three in midfield. He's more naturally that sort of nine and a half, ten, isn't he? A bit like Kai Havertz, there isn't really that natural position for him. Um, if anyone can find it, it's Pochettino. But, uh, you know, he's got to be so careful in terms of the next choice that he makes. Um, mm-hmm. And the problem he's also got in England is, you know, if you're Daniel Levy, there's a lot of teams in the Premier League who Daniel Levy will actually consider a direct rival because yeah. if you're Everton, Wolves, even West Ham to a certain extent, those teams pushing for the tops mm-hmm. seven or eight, the last thing... Um, Daniel Levy needs is Deli Ali going to West Ham and scoring eight goals as Tottenham, you know, struggled to score more than one goal mm. in their latest away game. Um, so I, th- I think it's a really difficult situation that they've got themselves into, and then the ideal situation is that him and Mourinho find a way forward that sees him more involved. Yeah, but at 24 years old, he just has to get playing now. And 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 you're right, it is a really interesting dilemma. The way it was explained to me is if it was to a sort of so-called equal or higher club like a PSG then it alone would be fine because regardless of how it goes there you could probably come back to Tottenham and and try and rebuild something if it's going to be a so-called lower club then it will probably have to be permanent because you don't want to go there on loan and it not work out because your hopes of either rekindling your Tottenham career or moving elsewhere will be damaged as a result. So there's a huge amount to consider there. And I don't think negotiations of any sort are at an advanced stage yet. So it it could be one that he gets some game time, especially with the cup competitions in January. And then they make a decision, like with many clubs and players, towards the end of this month. We've mentioned Gino Wijnaldum a few times on the podcast uh, as well, uh, Adam, over the last year as his contract starts to run down he's now at that stage with his contract where he can talk to foreign clubs yeah and uh, that link to Barcelona has not gone anywhere has it you know it's been pretty persistent for over a year now obviously Ronald Koeman's there so there seems to be a, a Dutch connection it's always been one that's massively surprised me just because he looks so happy playing for Liverpool he's so important to the way they play Equally, he's become, you know he's coming to an age where you know do you really want to give him a long term contract and you know outbid Barcelona on that? Is he so important and irreplaceable in what he does? I, I don't think Liverpool see it that way. I think they've made an offer that they consider to be fair. Um, and really, you know, Liverpool at the moment, if I was in his position, I'd be looking at that thinking, well, anywhere anywhere else you go at the moment is a step down. You know, if he's entering his thirties and um, going to Barcelona just as they enter their most probably post-Messi era, it's not exactly going to be bucket loads of fun next season um, in Catalonia. So I, I think it's an interesting situation. But you know, if it seems to be his career dream to play at some point at Barcelona, then fair enough. Um, but I don't think Liverpool are going to go. You know, continue offering more and more and more uh, money to, to persuade him. Yeah. Well, as far as I know, the the sort of negotiations are not ongoing at the moment that that can change at any moment um but it underlines what adam's saying there i don't think liverpool are going to change their stance much um they'll probably wait to see how the landscape looks from a barcelona perspective he's also been linked with inter milan but they've got to sort out their own problem with christian eriksen before looking at 
a potential move for Vinaldum. Um, there's no animosity at Liverpool, so he continues playing there. And Adam, maybe less so on a on a footballing perspective as you enter your thirties. Is his eye, with all due respect, on a on a financial perspective and and earning what he feels he deserves at this point in his career? Maybe, um, but then you know I look at Barcelona's finances, um, and <laughs> you know I mean I, I don't I can't see how much better it can be. Um, at Barcelona than it would be at Liverpool. Um, So it it then becomes, well, you know, are there other clubs that can enter the equation? But, you know, you look at that combined net spend from clubs like Bayern Munich, Borussia Dortmund, Inter Milan, um, AC Milan, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Valencia, Juventus, all those sort of major European clubs last summer. It wasn't high. And when you speak to those clubs at the moment, there is nobody saying, yeah, we're going to go out this summer and do what Chelsea did last summer. Chelsea, Chelsea, and probably Manchester United are the exception in terms of the, and Manchester City in the financial capacity at the moment. And there aren't clubs around Europe saying we're going to go in and blitz the market. Um, so unless Wijnaldum, you know, it's just really desperate to, to play for Barcelona, I can't see a huge financial offer coming for him, but I may be wrong. Some other transfer headlines that we've brought to you on The Athletic over the past week. So Tim Spears reports that Wolves are interested in a loan move for Real Madrid striker Luka Jovic. Obviously, they've got to fill the void left in the wake of Raul Jimenez's injury. Uh, Liverpool are not interested in the Lille central defender Sven Botman. That's from James Pearce. Although, although interestingly, with Liverpool, uh, David, as we've discussed a few times, Mm. They're quite good at saying they're not interested in someone before then signing that person. Not, I'm not doubting James at all there, but they they do have quite a good tactic in that regard. Well, yeah, I mean, we've kind of looked into this before and the situation changes and, and a lot of people don't kind of appreciate that. So you report things at that moment in time, for instance, with Thiago Alcantara. You know, I was very clearly told that if Liverpool were going to have to pay what... Bayern Munich ideally wanted which was in excess of 30 million euros then it's not something they would have been looking to do for a player who had only 12 months left on his contract had had a checkered injury record but it came to a point that it was satisfactory for all parties at that valuation and so so I don't think they're completely misleading but they're quite clever with with how how they kind of couch these situations in discussions with us um but equally we make more sort of inquiries than just speaking to the club and and repeating what they say and and Botman is one I've looked into as well and of course there's a lot of interest in him from many clubs I've also been told by multiple people that there is nothing sort of concrete or advanced with Liverpool not now and not necessarily going forward either but that can change um you know the consistent line from multiple people not just the club is that Liverpool will hope that they can go with what they've got um, and unless something dramatic changes on that front they won't be looking to bring a, a centre back in right now their planning is focused on the summer window and those plans are already well underway they've done a pretty good job so far of getting through with what they have in both the domestic and European competitions there is time in the window for that to change and that's why Liverpool's planning could potentially be escalated they've got one of the best recruitment departments around but I I think what James says there about Botman and what we've said consistently about their recruitment plans is accurate but things do change 
Uh, and actually, Adam, your piece on The Athletic with Joey Derso is kind of along these lines, really, on fake news and uh, ITKs and viral skills. It's on how social media changed the transfer window, but I suppose it's all about the different tactics and techniques employed sometimes to throw people off the scent or to find out who is actually leaking accurate information. Yeah, I mean, it was quite. An, it was Joey's idea originally um, to you know to look at how social media has impacted or influenced the window. And it came up with some really interesting things, speaking to a scout who was at Stoke um, during the Mark Hughes era, who said, you know, there was just one day he was flicking on Twitter um, and on news websites and saw a player in an, in an a Egyptian derby showboating. And that was Ramadan Sobi. And it wasn't a player that the Stoke scouting department were aware of. They didn't sign him off the basis of that one viral clip, but it was a trigger to, to you know, as is human mm-hmm. nature, to go and see, well, let's, you know, he's clearly got some guts on him to do this in the most fierce Egyptian derby. Let's go and watch him. Um, and they ended up signing him. Didn't work out that well, but I thought it was quite an interesting example. And then, yeah, I mean, what you say about the ITKs, the in the nose, and, and I think fans of all clubs will know that, you know, those three or four accounts on Twitter that claim to have inside information on their club that you know there's there's a West Ham one that's very prominent there's I think there's an it's an AFC Bell the Arsenal one that that a lot of fans follow but there was one at Aston Villa a few years ago when the chairman was Tony Zia and uh, Keith Wyness was the chief executive and during one window there was just story after story that kept coming from this ITK account and it reached the point that the club was so concerned that it was telegraphing their intentions to the market and it was so accurate that they they launched an you know an internal investigation hired an external firm to investigate and try and find out who this guy, who this guy or, or woman was that was behind that was behind it and as it turned out the private firm were unable to 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 do it but because a memo went around internally within the company to say we have launched this investigation it stopped very very quickly so it, <laughs> so it was Therefore, seemingly a mole within the camp. So sometimes, sometimes it's probably a fifteen-year-old in his bedroom, and other times, it's someone within you. <laughs> but I mean, David, you you must get people contacting you with information all the time that is pushing their own agenda. I mean, that that that's how this works. Yeah, you've got to sort of draw on your experience and your contacts to try and triangulate the information and corroborate it through as many trusted, reliable contact sources as you can. And so as tempting as it is when you get some information and contacted, it it, you, it happens all the time. There was, there was something the night before we, we record this and, and it was potentially very exciting. But then when we talk about it with the editors and we um, think about it ourselves and we speak to a couple of people around the situation, you, you, you either you very quickly get a sense of this is one that is a goer and and we need to <laughs> move very quickly and and stand it up and and potentially get something together or steer well clear and actually the in this age the social media sort of rumors and and sometimes the the information comes to be true i remember with the Raul Sanlehi departure at arsenal that came from an account uh, before any of us sort of had anything some people thought it was credible some people dismissed it and it proved there was something in it and and it was true but we need to be more careful than ever before and because you know that it, it's actually a bit easier i can think back to times gone by 
historically where you would you would get a bit too excited too quickly when you get this sort of contact but with time and experience you, you realize it's critically important for your integrity your credibility and just the accuracy the fundamentals of of journalism that you make all of the correct checks and therefore you should be able to filter out the fact from the fiction the the thirst for it on on social media is is at times ridiculous and unhealthy isn't it adam i mean a, a club could put out you know th- thanks to our amazing fans we've we've raised the equivalent of half a million pounds for local food banks over the last 12 months and then the first reply to it is announce sancho yeah and you sort sort of think it 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 dominates everything it is and and, you know you speak to executives at clubs and they all bemoan it and lament it but then they go you know they go on their conference calls with investors um and they talk about the number of engagements that they get um the number of likes that a signing received so you know they are complicit in it we are complicit in it you know i think most media organizations know that a transfer window month is a really valuable month in terms of um, yeah, in terms of driving interest and uh, whether that's clicks or subscriptions or whatever your business model is, mm-hmm. it, it's a very valuable thing, both you know to media, to clubs. Um, and, and therefore, it's, it, it is one of those things that we all buy into. Um, and I think, yeah, above all, it's quite good fun. Um, it, is one of those ent- it is one of those aspects of football that has moved it from sport to entertainment um, to, to a large degree. And, you know, one of the interesting things was when, when you were looking at how clubs unveil players now, quite a few clubs, even despite having their own very large content departments, also hire external firms to, you know, produce storyboards and designs for, for that big unveiling um, on social media, or online now. Um, and they, you know, they ask these companies weeks in advance to prepare it. So I'm sure there's lots of cases of players who will have been scouted and have had storyboards prepared for and companies signed NDAs, non-disclosure agreements to say, you know, to say we will not breathe a word of this and are now just lying on the cutting room floor at a London agency. Um, Before so it, we sign you, can I just check, do you play the piano? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Kind of Me- mentioning no club at all throughout that whole process. Um but you can all put two and two together. <laughs> um, maybe that's what's happening at West Brom at the moment because the, the, uh, the one transfer headline that uh, we reported on The Athletic over the past week that I haven't given you uh, is that uh, Big Sam is hoping to bring in a couple of his favourites in Cheng Tosson and Mamadou Sako uh, to the Hawthorns. Uh, we are done, I think. Thank you very much, Adam, for being with us. Uh, and as Adam said, you know, transfer window is an important part of a, a lot of companies' uh, businesses. So let me remind you, you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £3.99 <laughs> a month. Segway. Uh, yeah, absolutely smooth as anything. That's my, my plan for the new year, David, is to be, is to make every link really smooth. Um, Beautiful. £3.99 a month. You can read all the articles we discussed on today's podcast in full there and also all the transfer news and the transfer ticker as well there's also great analysis in-depth features uh, you've also heard a clip from alan shearer doing an interview with frank lampard alan's on the the website as well so everything that you want and if you subscribe then you get ad-free versions of all our podcasts all you've got to do is go to the athletic.com slash ornstein and chapman And I'll be back on this podcast feed on Thursday alongside Matt Slater for our new podcast, The Business of Sport. Uh, I'll see you next week, David.
See you then. Music